Hello. My name is Philip Shalcross, also known as Grey Wolf, reflecting my spiritual relationship with wolves. I became a Druid in 1974, founding the British Druid Order a few years later. Today I'd like to talk about a medieval healing charm featured in the British Druid Order's Bardic course, and then perform it for you. I've always drawn inspiration from the wonderful treasure trove of tales and poems recorded in the medieval manuscripts of Britain and Ireland. The more I study this remarkable body of literature, the more convinced I become that medieval bardic schools were the direct inheritors of druid schools that flourished across Europe in antiquity, and that they were at the heart of a pagan revival that reached its peak during the 12th century of the Common Era. Among the best-known products of this period is Cad Gothai, The Battle of the Trees, a poem found in an early 14th century manuscript known as the Book of Taliesin, now in the National Library of Wales. There may have been a historical Taliesin, household bard to one of the old kingdoms of northern Britain in the 5th century. The Battle of the Trees, however, belongs to a group of mystical verses composed in the Bardic schools of Wales in the 11th or 12th century. It seems to have been around this time that British bards adopted the witch-like figure of Keridwen, who has many of the attributes of a pagan goddess, as patron of their order. The story of Taliesin, recorded in a 16th century manuscript, tells of Keridwen gathering healing herbs to brew a cauldron of inspiration for her son, and setting a child, Guion Bach, little innocent, to stir the pot. Guion accidentally imbibes three drops from the cauldron that grant him the gifts of poetry, prophecy and shape-shifting, gifts associated with the three paths that comprise druidry, those of the bard, ovate and druid. Keridwen pursues Guion, both of them changing shape into a variety of animal forms, until Guion becomes a grain of wheat and Keridwen a coal-black hen. In this form she swallows him, and nine months later gives birth to Taliesin, who becomes the primary chief bard of Britain. It is to this legendary Taliesin that the mystical verses contained in the manuscript bearing his name are attributed. Interest in these poems was rekindled in the 18th century, since when generations of Druid revivalists, poets and Celtic scholars have interpreted them in a variety of often outlandish ways. The language of the Battle of the Trees is certainly obscure. I'd known the poem for about 40 years before realising what it's about. The key to understanding it lies in lines 25 to 36, where the bard refers to a great beast, horny-scaled, on whom were a hundred heads, a black-forked toad with a hundred talons, a serpent speckled, crested. What are we to make of this strange and fearsome creature? Other medieval sources and folklore recorded in the 19th and early 20th centuries refer to similar creatures being the embodiment of disease. I believe this to be the case in the Battle of the Trees. The trees of the title are 19 out of a total of 35 plant species referred to in the text, ranging from the mighty oak 
to the humble clover. Every one of them has distinct healing properties, including tonics, emetics, astringents, antiseptics, anti-inflammatories, and treatments for the reduction of fever, rheumatism, kidney disease, even cancer. The battle that takes place in the poem, then, is the conflict between these medicinal plants and disease, visualised as a dark, toad or serpent-like beast. The bard himself takes the role of healer. In the first part of the poem he sings of his own power, saying, I was a path, I was an eagle, I was a sword in the hand, I was a shield in battle, and so on. Similar recitations of one's own knowledge and abilities are found in healing formulae used by Central Asian shamans, who also use verse in their incantations. The Battle of the Trees is also similar in style and intent to the 10th century Anglo-Saxon Nine Herbs charm. The function of this opening section is to emphasise and reinforce the healer's spiritual power and authority at the beginning of the healing process. The recitation also establishes the bard's credentials to the patient and any onlookers who may be present, whether physically or in spirit. Next, the bard describes the spirit form taken by the disease, in this case that of a scaly, hundred-headed monster. To help him combat it, he then calls on the gods for assistance, beginning with the healer, trickster and magician Gwydion Apdorn, who features prominently in that great medieval collection of British legends and folklore, the Mabinogi. He then invokes the plants, his physical and spiritual allies in the healing process, beginning with Alder, the first to strike, and ending with Nettle Blossom. Towards the end of his account of the healing plants, the bard speaks of being created from blossom of trees and shrubs by the enchanters Math and Gwydion. This refers to the Mabinogi story of the creation of Blodiweth, flower face, from flowers of oak, broom and meadowsweet, to be a bride for the young god of light, Thlaithlaugifes. By aligning himself with the maiden created from flowers, the poet-healer clearly intends to strengthen the bond between himself, his plant allies, and the goddess who embodies them. The pagan deities called upon in the poem are Gwydion, the twin brothers Dylan Ailton and Thlaithlaugifes, Thlay's wife, Blodiweth, her lover, Goronwi, Math, whose name means bear, and Modron, whose name means mother. In the fourth branch of the Mabinogi, the story of Math, son of Mathonwi, Gwydion acts as mentor to Dylan and Thlay. Gwydion and Math create Blodiweth from flowers. She marries Thlay, then betrays him to his death at the hands of Goronwi, after which Gwydion restores Thlay to life, having found him in the form of an eagle in the upper branches of an oak tree. These are not, then, a random group of deities, but a specific group bound together in a legend dealing with the creation of a deity from flowers. The bard then returns to recounting his own powers and the weapons he either wields or becomes in the fight. So he wields a mottled sword and a ruby-red shield, 
and becomes a billhook wielded by wolf-headed warriors, and then a stout hunting spear. A reference to a cauldron producing fourscore clouds of steam reminds us that a traditional way in which the beneficial effects of herbs may be introduced into a patient is by adding them to boiling water and breathing in the steam. The cauldron has extra mythic resonance here because it is the vessel through which the bard, Taliesin, received his spiritual gifts from the goddess Keridwen. At one point, the bard says he has been a speckled snake on a hill and a viper in a lake. Given that the theme of the poem is defeating a serpent-like creature representing disease, for the healer bard to refer to himself as a serpent may at first glance seem strange. He is, however, aligning himself with an old tradition that likens druids to serpents and sees the latter as sources of power. Romano-Celtic art from around 2,000 years ago portrays a ram-headed serpent in the company of a powerful and benevolent horned or antlered god. Asclepius, the Greek healer god, is often shown holding a staff around which twines a serpent, representing his healing power. The twofold nature of the serpent is seen in the pair that twine around the caduceus, the wand of the god Mercury that is the emblem of the modern medical profession. One serpent represents disease, the other the power of healing. The ram-headed serpent, then, represents the healing power of the antlered god, and it is this power with which the bard is identifying himself in the poem. Towards the end of the poem, the bard calls upon druids, wise men, to prophesy Arthur, thus invoking both the spirits of his druid ancestors and the legendary warrior chief and once and future king, who is said to sleep in a cave surrounded by his knights, awaiting the call to arms at the time of Britain's greatest need. Having successfully battled and defeated the disease monster with the aid of physical therapies and his powerful array of deities, heroes, animal and plant spirit helpers, the bard concludes by describing himself as like a splendid jewel in a golden ornament, resplendent, exhilarated. In other words, triumphant. The whole poem, then, guides us through a process of healing that combines physical components, primarily the plants and the steaming cauldron, with spiritual ones, including several pagan deities. Our translation of the Battle of the Trees is by Welsh bard, Celtic scholar, archaeologist and British Druid Order member Derwith Newith, who has translated most of the Book of Taliesin and the story of Taliesin for our bardic course. My recording aims to replicate the style of an early medieval bardic performance where one bard would stand and speak while another accompanied on the harp. So the poem was recorded first, then the harp accompaniment improvised during playback. The harp is a 25-string, nylon-strung bardic harp made for me by Stony End Harps of Minnesota. Cat Gothai, The Battle of the Trees.
I was in many forms before I was freed from restraint. I was a slender, mottled sword forged by a skillful hand. I was a droplet in the air. I was star's radiant light. I was a word inscribed. In my prime I was a book. I was a lantern's light. For a year and a half together, I was a bridge that spanned sixty estuaries. I was a path. I was an eagle. I was a coracle on the sea. I was the effervescence in a drink. I was a drop of rain in a shower. I was a sword in the hand. I was a shield in battle. I was a ringing harp string under nine years enchantment and foam upon the water. I was a fire's sparking tinder. I was a tree in a forest fire. I am not one who does not sing. I have sung since boyhood. I sang in the treetops before Britain's ruler. I pierced the stall-fed horses of those whose wealth is in fleets. I pierced a great beast, horny scaled, on whom were a hundred heads and a fierce warband beneath the root of his tongue. Another warband is found in each of his neck's napes. A black-forked toad with a hundred talons, a serpent speckled, crested, a hundred souls for their sins are tormented in his flesh. I was in the fortress of Nevenhir Ninetieth when trees and vegetation attacked. Bards were singing and soldiers fiercely fighting. The resurgence of the Britons was brought about by Gwydion. On the Creator he called, on the One All-Powerful, that he might aid them, the High One who made them. The High One answered him, by means of earth and word, conjure up majestic trees, a hundred warbands in one host, and impede the vigorous one, the wealthy battle-giver. When the trees were conjured up, an unexpected source of hope, the trees hewed at the enemy with their tough tendrils. Around the armies they attacked for thirty days of battle. Bitterly a woman wailed and lamentation broke out. A woman in the van of the fight, the spoil, the buck of Anhum. No disaster befell us. From blood of men up to our thighs, the greatest cataclysm of the three that in the world have come to pass. And one came about from the flood and its fable. The gods sacrifice the second. The third is doomsday yet to be. Alders at the head of the file were first to strike, while Willow and Rowan were late to the fray. Spiky Blackthorn eager for slaughter, the skillful meddler anticipating battle. The rose advanced against an angry host. Raspberry took action, raising no defensive palisade to protect his life. Privet and Honeysuckle and Ivy 
Despite the look of them, how fiercely they flew to the fray. The cherry tree taunted. Birch, despite his best intentions, was slow to don his arm. Not from cowardice, but rather because of his bigness. Goldenrod kept his resolve, a foreigner over foreign tolerance. Pine in the place of honour contended for the chair. Ash did fine deeds before the princes. Elm, despite his wealth, did not veer by so much as a foot. He slashed at the centre, the wing and the rear guard. Hazel adjudged the weapons for the fight. Dogwood of blessed life, a bull of battle, lord of the fray. A great host brings salvation. Beech flourished and holly grew green. He was in the valorous combat. Skillful, splendid, renowned white form. His hand dealt destruction. Vine the destroyer hewed in the battle. Bracken the despoiler, bloom in the vanguard of the war band was wounded in the rock-tough ground. Gorse was not fortunate, despite which he marshalled the forces. Heather, renowned pillager, was conjured into the army too. Black Cherry the pursuer, oak of the swift battle cry. Heaven and earth trembled before him. Wold, a valiant warrior, his name worthy of record on wax tablets. The sickly tree's onslaught caused terror. He would, he did, repulse others and stabbed at them. Pear caused oppression on the field of battle. A terrifying array was surging clover. Shy chestnut, fierce adversary among mighty trees. Jet is black, mountain rounded. The trees are armed. The great oceans are swifter since I heard the battle cry. The crown of birch grows leaves for us. Its vigor strengthened us. The crown of oak ensnared us with my song. The laughing sea wave that covers the rock, a lord who disdains the shallow shoal. Not from mother and father was I made, and my creation was created for me from nine kinds of element, from fruit, from fruits, from the first fruit in the beginning, from primroses and flowers, from blossom of trees and shrubs, from earth, from sod, was I wrought. From nettle blossom, from the water of the ninth wave, math conjured me. Before I was completed, Gwydion conjured me. Great enchantment wrought by magic staff. By Uris, by Euron, by Euron, by Modron, by five skilled enchanters akin to godparents was I raised. 
a ruler conjured me when a great area was burned. The wisdom of sages conjured me before the creation of the world when I had my being, when the world was still small. A lovely poet of prophetic gifts, I possess in song all the utterance of tongues. I played in daylight, I slept in purple. I was in the citadel with Dylan, son of the sea. My bed in the center of the fortress lay between the knees of kings. My two eager spears from heaven they come. In the silver stream of Anun, ready for battle they come. Four score hundred men I pierced despite their greed. They are no older, they are no younger than me in their wrath. Every one had the passion of a hundred men, and I had nine hundred. My mottled sword wins me honoured blood. A lord arose from his burial place. By a meek one was the boar slain. He made, he remade, he made languages and peoples. Radiant his name, strong his hand. He directed a host brilliantly. They scattered like sparks from a drop on high. I was a speckled snake upon a hill. I was a viper in a lake. I was a billhook wielded by wolf-headed warriors. I was a stout hunting spear. In my cloak, in my cauldron, I prepared not ill. Fourscore clouds of steam the cauldron brings to all. Five times fifty bondwomen is its value with my knife. Six yellow horses, a hundred times better is my stallion, Melingan, as swift as a seagull. I myself am not tardy. Between the sea and shore I caused a massacre of nine hundred of the foremost warriors. Of ruby red is my round shield. Of glistening gold is my shield rain. None was born in the breach. None visit me now except Goronwi from the water meadows of Eadriwi. Long and pale are my fingers. It is long since I was a herdsman. I shape-shifted into a champion before I was a man of letters. I shape-shifted, I circulated. On a hundred islands I slept. I stayed in a hundred forts. Druids, wise men, prophesy Arthur. There is that which has been before, and it is of that which has been that they sing. And one came to pass because of the tale of the flood and Flay's spear-piercing and the judgment day to come. Like a splendid jewel in a golden ornament, thus I am resplendent and I am exhilarated by the prophecy of the Fereft. And thus ends 
the cant of Ireland, the battle of the trees. May all who hear it be blessed. So may it be.